Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. We made this. Hello, everybody. I'm Carl Sweeney. And I'm Tony Black. And welcome back to The Discourse. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We are here again with the discourse after a slightly unplanned uh, break in transmission. Uh, just some personal stuff going on on my side this time, but uh, good to be back. Mm. And yeah, we are here for another brand new episode. We'll be back with another episode as well later in the week. And uh, before we crack into our topics, let's go through the preamble stuff that we usually go through. So first thing is that you can find us on social media. We're on TikTok. We're on X. We are on Instagram. Just search for either Pod the Discourse or the Discourse Podcast. You will find us. Uh, we would love a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. And it doesn't need to take you very long. It could just be a 30-second thing. You know, a one-line review and a five-star rating would be great. Uh, the Discourse Plus is our bonus tier where you can get bonus episodes. You can get early access to the episodes uh, on the main feed, you know, before they go out on the main feed, actually, as soon as they're edited, basically. Uh, and so on. It's a great way to support us and what we do for just the princely sum of uh, £4 a month in UK money. And uh, yeah, we're actually planning to record our February bonus episode very soon on the Discourse Plus. So come and join us. Yep. Uh, and finally, you can contact us via email at contactthediscourse at gmail.com. And we would love you to send us comments or suggestions for topics or anything like that. And um, we also would particularly love voice notes, I think, so we can include mm. your contributions on the show itself. And Tony, one person who has done that for us very kindly is Mr. Sam Stokes, isn't he? Absolutely. Who is a, a We Made This colleague and contributor. So why don't we hear what Sam had to say? Hi, Carl and Tony. Sam here from the Den of Ten podcast. Hope you're both well. So... I was listening to Mark Kermode's Best and Worst Films of 2023 and basically before he gave his top five films of the year he gave this long list of films he loved but didn't make the top five and he basically emphasised that you know, wow, to have a year where you've got all these films and he listed, he must have listed 20 or 30. To have all these films uh, that not make the top five, you know, it must be a pretty great year for cinema. Uh, and obviously in 2023, we had the Barbenheimer phenomenon as well. You might f even throw Taylor Swift eras into the mix. 
Um, and just like, you know, when, when you have on the other side of things, like talk of superhero fatigue, which I get, and, you know, maybe cinema in decline, empty cinemas or whatever, Cineworld was, was in trouble. It's just two sides of, uh, of the situation. And it's just an interesting, coming into the new year, it's an interesting point, I think, to ask again, like, what, where are we with, with film and cinema? Um, I guess there's two separate questions there, first being the quality of film, and second being the engagement of cinema. But I certainly think that 2023 was interesting and showed a lot of positives and a lot of promise for both of those, even though we still do have to contend with superhero fatigue and other such uh, issues or constraints maybe with with modern film. So there are some thoughts you may want to discuss. Okay, yeah, so I thought that was an interesting comment from Sam Tony. He was talking about, you know, he, he had listened to Mark Kermode's best of 2023 list and about how much great stuff there was on there from all around the world. Uh, you know, lots of positive things going on in cinema in 2023. And I think he made an interesting point there about how it's almost like there are two sides of the same coin, because along with lots of great movies coming out, there are also these like counter narratives, aren't there? Like, you know, superhero fatigue and things like that. Mm. So yeah. What do you make of that, uh, Tony? Well, I mean, just firstly, uh, so I must point out, because this is related, that Sam, who has hosted the Den of Ten podcast on We Made This, has now taken on Real Talk, which was designated as kind of the de facto new film release podcast on We Made This. And he's, uh, as of recording, he's done Poor Things and The Zone of Interest, because obviously we're getting all the Oscar running kind of films coming out in the UK right now. So uh, do go and look up Real Talk, the movie show on We Made This, because Sam's now in charge and it's great. But yeah, I I think 2023... It, well, I mean, we 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 would have done a kind of sort of sum up in a different way, wouldn't we? Had we not, had I not had the baby, and we you know, we'd not had all the time off and things, we'd done more episodes. We'd have maybe done a bit more of a roundup, but I th- I think it was a pretty good year for cinema. And I think listening to what Sam says, I think what the one thing that I've been thinking of about 2023 was how it does feel like the the scales are tipping a bit away. I think from relentless franchise fare to something a little bit more balanced, maybe something a little bit more curated and maybe a little bit more interesting. And this isn't just because of the Barbenheimer thing, which obviously a lot of people would point to and say, you know, an example of, we talked about it before on the podcast of something massively successful. That isn't another Marvel thing. But I think the fact that you're seeing that fatigue with the big, corporate branded stuff your marvels your star wars etc because we are we are seeing that fatigue whether it's on tv or whether it's in cinemas i think you are also seeing on the flip side some genuinely interesting both indie quote-unquote kind of cinema but also much bigger stuff that is genuinely a little bit quirky. I mean, I'd point to something like, um, I know it's not been a very big success and apparently it's not great, but I'd point to something like Argyle from Matthew Vaughan, which has just come out, which is probably not going to be the beginning of something, but it's at least something a little bit quirky and odd and had a little bit of nice viral marketing going on to, 
with it, which had, had no tether before to anything else. You know, so that do you know what I'm saying? I think it's we're maybe entering a, a hope. What well, he's hopefully a bit of an interesting era where the two things are starting to balance a little bit more in terms of popular cinema, things people really want to go to the cinema and see with big stars, and also stuff like a lot of this Oscar stuff this year that is genuinely interesting cinema, you know? I would definitely echo what he was talking about there. You know, he mentioned the Mark Kermode list of, you know, like a varied best of 2023 list. And I, at the end of last year, I jotted down on my phone, like the new films I had seen uh, in 2023 that I really liked. And I felt Mm. the same way, but there was plenty of stuff there. And here are the ones I narrowed it down to. And this is off UK release date. So there are a few there, which, uh, you know, were out in 2022 in the US, but uh, I wrote down Tar, The Fablemans, Still, a Michael J. Fox movie, which is the documentary on Apple oh. TV, which I thought oh, was really good. Yeah. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Uh, Reality, which is the film about the whistleblower with uh, Sidney Sweeney. Uh, Oppenheimer, Talk to Me, Past Lives, One Fine Morning, which is a French film with um, Léa Seydoux. Fair Play, which is like the, the thriller that went straight to Netflix. Uh, the Great Escaper, because I thought that was a lovely film, and that surprised me how mm. emotional that was. The Michael Caine, Glenda Jackson film. Killers mm. of the Flower Moon, Anatomy of a Fall, May, December, and How to Have Sex. So that really is a varied list, I think. And I think I could have easily listed another five or ten as well that were that were not far off that for me. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff going on. I think what sometimes happens is that what is going on in like mainstream Hollywood filmmaking, that can become the dominant idea of what's going on in cinema at any one time. So you do get these narratives of like cinema in decline or whatever, superhero fatigue. And Sam is definitely right to say, I think that there can be different sides to that coin. So yeah, I think last year we had lots of great films coming in from all sorts of places. At the same time, a tricky outlook for the film industry in other ways with some big tentpole films not succeeding. But I think it's definitely a fair point to point out that yeah, there's lots of interesting work going on, lots of great movies being made and coming from lots of different places. So, mm. yeah, I think his reflections on that uh, were great. And thank you, Sam, very much for sending that in to us. Uh, Tony, there was just one other comment I wanted to highlight, which came in via our TikTok uh, account. And it was off the back of the trigger warnings debate we'd had about the James Bond, the old James Bond movies on our last recording. Yeah. So, just give me a second, because I'm going to get the comment, and I'll probably get a blast of sound here from TikTok. Hang on. Yeah, look look at you being all, you know, modern with your TikTok <laughs> messages. Like, I, I, <laughs> I don't even go on it anymore. I'd heard a thing, actually, about TikTok, where music has been, like, removed from it. So there's lots of vi- videos now of people just doing stuff on there without the backing music, because I heard so. Did you hear about this? Yeah, certain things have been removed. I don't yeah. know all the ins and outs of that, but I have heard that, yeah. Sounds weird. Um, I don't know. I just know with my Movie Palace TikTok, it's kind of taken off a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Where I went from like oh. 30 followers to 220 in about a Blimey. week. And I don't exactly know why. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah. Of all, of, all the, of all the nans and granddads found TikTok, is that what it is? Listen, do not besmirch <laughs> my uh, Movie Palace <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um Okay, so somebody called Dave got in touch with us on TikTok after I'd posted about that trigger warnings discussion. Hello, Dave. 
What it said was, um, trigger warnings are interesting. I work with vulnerable people who have experienced trauma, so I know and understand triggers. And in many, if not most cases, I'll use sexual assault as an example, seeing or hearing. Sexual assault or talk of sexual assault often is fine. It's often a smell or a song or absolutely anything that can trigger. So it's almost impossible to warn of triggers. You could have a nice Disney movie that innocently plays a song that just so happens was in the background when someone was a sexual assault victim. That's the trigger as they blocked out the event and focused on the song to get through it. So what do you make of that, Tony? I'll defer to Dave on that because obviously, uh, by the sounds of it, don't have the same experience as him of... um, working with vulnerable people who've experienced trauma in this way. But that is a fascinating point, isn't it? That actually Mm. the things we think might be the things that you warn about, maybe it's not those things that are going to cause the problem in certain instances. So what do you make of that? Well, I mean, I'm not also not an expert in any way. And Dave probably has a lot more experience than me, but I do work with vulnerable children quite often in my role at work. And there's so much in the way of sensory issues for children and young people and it will be the same for adults in those aspects being what causes them to break down or struggle in a particular lesson when they're being taught something in particular so i think there's a lot of truth to that yeah that triggers can come from all kinds of places and then it can just be that they don't even know precisely what is unsettling them you know quite often it is that wall sometimes hits them and they just don't feel okay you know and and it it could be something Mm. like yeah it could be something like a smell or anything like that absolutely so i mean you know i I, we've talked about this before but i i do think in no no small part all of the hullabaloo about wokeism and all of this trigger stuff is performative in many ways you know i i do think that whereas i think with those kind of triggers it, that's that more sensory aspect perhaps it's more powerful quite often than you know the the faux outrage of a particular word or a particular action by a character so that's that's really interesting that is something uh yeah something to think about for sure all right well anyway thanks very much to sam and to dave for their comments and like i said um feel free to get in touch with us listeners contact the discourse at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you Okay, Tony, let's move on to the awards season. And we were Mm. planning to talk about this on our postponed recording from last week that almost happened, but didn't quite happen. Um, But this is still relevant, I think, because the Oscars haven't happened yet. The BAFTAs haven't happened yet. So before we get into what's been nominated at the Academy Awards, I mean, we must have talked about this last year, but just the awards season in general, you know, this time of year when we get the nominations, then we get the build up to the big ceremonies, then we get the winners... How much do you really care? Be honest now. <laughs> yeah, we probably did talk about this last year. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say I care, you know, I, and that much, but I'm always interested. I'm always intrigued. I'm always curious about what's going to get the nomination, what's going to win. And I end up quite having quite intense opinions sometimes about it, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 one there's one one picture on the the list for the Oscars. I I don't think has any place on this list of, of best films, um, which we might come to in a minute, for instance. And I'm there sit going, no, no, that is no way one of the best films of the of the last year. So yeah, I I it's it's good sport, I think, really. Yeah, I'm probably in a similar boat. I don't care that much. Um 
you know, when it doesn't go my way, like last year when <laughs> everything everywhere all at once won best picture, you know, I very quickly get over it. I'm not even that disappointed in the moment. I'm just like, okay, fine. That's not what I would have done, but whatever. Yeah, I think I think they are interesting for what they signify culturally and yeah, I think it can be very fascinating as well to look back sometimes, you know, look back a generation or two and see what was winning and mm. uh, see what they overlooked and things like that. So yeah, I, d- I don't, I don't um, follow it that closely, but I will watch the BAFTAs. I probably will watch the Oscars on a time delay and uh, obviously keep abreast of it. But anyway, let's do the Oscars. Um, best picture. So of course, an expanded uh, category these days. So the films up for best picture this year are American Fiction, which I haven't seen yet. Anatomy of the Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. So what I'll say up front, Tony, I think, is that I think this is Oppenheimer's year. I think it's going to be a very clear-cut awards season. I think that film, you know, it's going to be very difficult to see anything overtaking that. So I think Oppenheimer is going to be the best picture winner. But what do you make of that? And what do you make of the category in general? Well, I mean, I haven't seen them all yet. But from what I've heard, it's a bloody good list, isn't it? By and large, this year. Like, that, that, is, that is a quality list of movies. You know, I'm anticipating that the ones I haven't seen, which for the record is American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. I'm, I am anticipating that I will enjoy all of them. But I am inclined to agree with you. I think Oppenheimer will win this. Yeah. We, the, the big one is whether Christopher Nolan will win Best Director. I kind of hope we get both, to be honest. But I don't think I'd mm. necessarily be too sad to see some of the others nab it. I mean, it'd be lovely to see Killers of the Flower Moon get it because that was a fantastic movie. Um, you know, by all accounts, a lot of the others are really good. The, shall I tell you the one I don't think should be on here? Or can you guess? Well, I'm going to guess that you're thinking about Maestro. Correct. Five points to Carl. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I mean, uh, Bradley Cooper and Carey Mulligan are excellent in that film, but that is not a great movie at all. So that is a classic example of Oscar bait that they took, hook, line and sinker for me. Um, but anyway, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Oppenheimer, hmm. winner. I quite liked Maestro, actually, but I wouldn't have it's not up in the top echelon of these films for me the ones that really stand out for me are anatomy of a fall the holdovers which i think is absolutely fantastic i think killers of the flower moon was great oppenheimer i thought was great past lives i think was excellent poor things as well they're they're the real standouts for me and then there are films like barbie and the zone of interest which i did admire but i don't think were quite as good And American fiction, I haven't yet seen. I'm hoping to see that in the next few days. But um, it's already, it's only been out for a week in UK cinemas. Mm. It seems to be vanishing fairly quickly, to be fair. Yeah, I think Oppenheimer is going to win Best Picture. I do think Christopher Nolan is going to win Best Director. But the other nominees are Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest, Yorgos Lanfrimos for Poor Things, uh, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, and Justine Trier for Anatomy of a Fall. So... Yeah, I think this is going to be Nolan. I can't see any of the others pulling it, pulling it off. Um, you think so too? Uh, well, I hope so, because he's other views are available, but he is, for me, well overdue <laughs> some critical praise, you know, that man, because he's a brilliant director. But again, really strong category. You know, they're all brilliant talents. 
So, you know, it'd be, I, I, I'd love to see Scorsese get another one any other year, really. But yeah, mm. I, I agree. Yeah, I think it'll be Nolan. I hope it will be. At this point, then, we should maybe discuss the, the big discourse of the Oscars nominations this year, which is the idea that Barbie has been snubbed. So, like I said, mm. Barbie obviously did get nominated for Best Picture. It did get nominated for a bunch of other awards. But Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated as Best Director. Margot Robbie didn't get nominated in the Best Actress category. So... What do you make of that, Tony? You must have seen this debate raging online. Mm. You know, the idea that Barbie has been overlooked, neglected, snubbed. Do you agree? Not really. I mean, I, I, I suppose of the two performances in the last year that Margot Robbie gave, it's Babylon that is the one I think she should have got some critical praise for, to be honest, out of the two, as great as she is in Barbie. So I can kind of understand in a way why she didn't get a, no- a nomination. But then... Equally, I think there's a, you know, a perfect, a perfect re- example. I mean, wh- why why is she in here over? Why I mean, I haven't seen Nyad, but why is Annette Benning in here as opposed to Margot Robbie? Like for Barbie, is a bit is would be my question. I'm based on the list. Yeah, I it's a bit odd. Greta Gerwig, I really don't understand that one. Like, I really don't get that. I mean, I I'm sure, as you said, Anatomy of a Fall is a really good film. Justin Triet deserves to be in here. And it's a strong category, don't get me wrong. But why put four other men in and not have a second woman, given as well that Barbie was really well directed? You know, she did a great job. It looked excellent. It was a really good film. So, and not just because she's a woman and we should have two women, but genuinely, I think on merit, I'd say she deserves to be in there. Yeah. So, of the two, it's Gerwig for me is the one that I think should have got a nomination. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I don't know. I would, I would say I really am tired of this whole discourse around Barbie because I think the idea of a snub is ridiculous. You know, this is not how these things work. A, a snub is if I'm having a party for all my best mates and I don't invite you because that's a calculated omission. <laughs> you see what I mean? Whereas is this your way of is this your way of telling me this is this your way of sneaking this in under the radar that you didn't yeah, invite by, me to a party? By the way, sat- Saturday night everyone's coming around to my house. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it's you're all right. I'm, I'm over hundred no, miles away. So, it's fine. I can I can live with it. <laughs> uh, my point is that, that that's not the way these things work. This is about you know who's in the top five of any particular category, whether it's directors or actors or whatever, in a given year, as decided by their peers. You know, so. Greta Gerwig might be in sixth place by one vote. It doesn't mean that she's been calculatedly snubbed. You know, Margot Robbie might be sixth or seventh in that category, a hair's breadth behind some of the other performers. So I think the way people talk about this is as if, you know, there's been like a, a collective decision to 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 shut out Gerwig. Mm, mm. Whereas what, what's really happened is there's been a secret ballot, lots of people, you know, the actors vote for actors, the directors vote for directors in the Oscars, that's how it works, and they just haven't ended up in the final list, you know? I don't see yeah. that as a... I, I hate the word snub in, in relation to awards, because that implies something that's not really going on, if you ask me. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that, to be fair. I don't think it's that calculated, no. I think I think that's some, that's a, you know, a, a reactive thing that people have latched onto. 
no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far either. I, I, I just think it's a bit of a surprise, really. But no, I agree. I, th- I think Snobby's a bit is a bit harsh. And to be fair, it is a really good category of directors in there. So it's a very strong category. I struggled to see who you would lock mm. out of the directors category. It's tough. And put Gerwig in over. To be to be fair, mm. I personally think that I would struggle to find a way in for her. But Barbie did get a bunch of nominations. You know, uh, Margot Robbie has been nominated for Oscars in the past. Gerwig got a nomination in the screenplay category. So I, I just struggled with that whole discourse, really. Mm. Uh, in the best actor category, we've got Bradley Cooper, Coleman Domingo for the film Rustin, which I have not yet seen. No. Uh, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. So I believe this will be between Paul Giamatti and Killian Murphy. Variety yeah. is predicting that Paul Giamatti is going to win for The Holdovers. I could, I really couldn't quibble with that if that does happen because he is fantastic there. But I thought Killian Murphy was excellent in Oppenheimer too. I think either of those men would be a deserving winner. To be fair, mm. yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the holdovers yet, but I can well imagine. You know, if the if the holdovers is, holdovers is any, anywhere as good as Sideways, um, yeah, from years ago, which I adored that film, um, which I'm sure it is. Then yeah, Murph, Murphy was brilliant though as Oppenheimer, and I w- I would love to see him get this actually because he was excellent. And to be fair, Bradley Cooper, like I said, was great as Leonard Bernstein. You know, I didn't like the film that much, but he did a great job, I think. So, you know, and I'm sure Jeffrey Wright's really good. He's always good. So again, it's a pretty strong category there. But no, I I would agree. Yeah, I, I'm I am kind of rooting for Killian Murphy, though, to be honest. Okay, and then in the best actress category, as you mentioned, Annette Bening for Nyad, which is on Netflix, by the way, Tony. And uh, okay. I actually quite enjoyed Nyad. And I thought Jodie Foster in particular was great in that. So um, worth a look. All right. Uh, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Hula for Anatomy of the Fall, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. So I believe this will come down to either Emma Stone or Lily Gladstone. And I don't know. I think Lily Gladstone's got some momentum behind her, and I could very well see this being where they go. I think that she might get the Best Actress Award for that movie. Which would be kind of historic, I think, for a Native American actress to win that award. Um, what do you I, think? I would love to see it. To be fair, she was fantastic in that film. She really was. And so, yeah, it's she's the only one I really want to win this. As I mean, the, you know, the others good performances. I'm sure I haven't seen all of them, but yeah, she should get this one. I think. And I mean, on that, were you surprised that DiCaprio didn't get a nomination for Killers of the Flower Moon as as Best Actor? Uh, a little bit, because I do think, as we discussed at the time, I thought he gave a fantastic performance mm. in that film. Probably one of his very best. But yeah, I mean, he's been there many times before, of course. He's won the Oscar, so he'll get over it. But yeah, I, you know, I think the film will endure. His performance will endure. The fact that yeah. he didn't get nominated for an Oscar for it, in, in the final reckoning, that won't matter too much, I don't think. But yeah, yeah I think if he'd have been in there, you know, we wouldn't have raised any eyebrows whatsoever because he was, he was brilliant in mm. that film, to be honest. Mm. Supporting actors, quite a strong category as well. Sterling K. Brown uh, for American Fiction. Robert De Niro for Kills of the Flower Moon. Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. Ryan Gosling for Barbie. And Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. So, you know, I I did think Ryan Gosling was a lot of fun in Barbie. I thought De Niro was great in Kills of the Flower Moon. And as again, as we discussed on that episode we did, I thought Robert Downey Jr. was phenomenal in Oppenheimer. And I think he's the one who's going to win this. What do you think? I think Gosling... I think I think they will as a sop to Barbie because Barbie's not going to win much else. Certainly <laughs> in the big ones, I think this will be Ken off, as they would say, for them. 
and I think I think Gosling's going to get this one. But however, yeah, I wouldn't begrudge particularly Downey Jr. I think definitely because he was excellent. So yeah, strong category. I'm looking forward to seeing Sterling K. Brown and Mark Ruffalo's performances as well. If Ryan Gosling does win, that's going to reignite the Barbie discourse, isn't it? Yeah. Because like the uh, the male actors <laughs> got the award, and the, the, the female director and the female actress didn't get nominated. Oh my yeah. god, that's going to be painful <laughs> if that happens in a way. We'll um, see. Yeah, uh, supporting actress then Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks, which I think that's for the Color Purple, um, America Ferrera for Barbie, Jodie Foster for Niad. First Oscar nomination for Jodie Foster for a long time, actually, back to the mid nineties, I think. Um, and then finally, Dave, Davine Joy Randolph, and I'm, I think I pronounced that right, but I'm not sure. Um, and that's for the holdovers. Yeah. And I think she's, she's widely expected to win, I think, for the holdovers. And she is brilliant in that film. Okay. You finally get to see it. I'm sure you'll agree. So, uh, who stands out for you there? Well, I haven't seen most of them, if I'm honest. I've only seen Emily Blunt and America Ferreira. And America Ferreira, perfectly good in that film, but she's, I don't really know if she's good enough to get a nod. Emily Blunt isn't in a lot of Oppenheimer, really, to be fair. So haven't seen The Colour Purple, haven't seen Nyads, haven't seen The Holdovers. So not a lot to say. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll go with your recommendation, yeah, because I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing The Holdovers. So yeah, fingers crossed she wins then in that case. Yeah, I think she's an obvious standout there. And I, I'm so gutted The Holdovers wasn't released over here in the run-up to Christmas because I think it is going to become like a classic Christmas film I mean, oh, for cool. a lot of people right. because it is. Just so seasonal and so lovely. Okay. Were there any other categories, Tony, that you wanted to highlight? I mean, those are the main ones for me. I always think it's interesting to look at best film and the directors and the actors. But anything else jump out at you? I always go to score, to be honest, because uh, I'm a film music lover. We had American Fiction, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things um, are, the, are the score nominations. I mean, I part of me thinks they might throw it a final one at John Williams because this is because he, he's basically retired now for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Much as that actually isn't by any means his best film scoring at all, I don't know really. Or, or although I say that, probably Ludwig Göransson will win it for Oppenheimer actually because that 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 was a really interesting score and the Oscars love him after Black Panther. So yeah, but but overall, not the strongest I think year for that nomination category really. Uh, the only thing I would say before we move on from awards is that I think it's going to be substantially the same story at the BAFTAs, which comes up before the Oscars, of course. Mm. I think that it's going to be Oppenheimer's year in a bunch of categories. I think the only thing, you know, I think the main difference is that there are a couple of films that have done much better at the BAFTAs in terms of nominations than the Oscars. So films like uh, All of Us Strangers, the new Andrew mm-hmm. Haig film, Saltburn, I think, got a bunch of Oscar, uh, a bunch of BAFTA noms. It's always interesting to see what's different, but I, I, like I say, I think substantially it's going to be Oppenheimer's year, to be honest. Yeah, I tell you what though, Saltburn really has cut through, you know, to the public. In that, I people have been talking about it at work. Now, I don't work with people <laughs> who are massive film nerds like me. You know, when I tell them about my Blackbusters mm. thing, where I collect all the DVDs, they give they they give me a slightly quizzical eyebrow sometimes. So, but. People have been asking me if I've seen Saltburn. I actually haven't yet. I haven't seen it yet. Um, and <laughs> they, there has been discourse among people who are not film nerds by any means. So, you know, it's because it's on Amazon Prime in the UK. That's why. So that's why people are watching mm. it. But um, yeah, definitely has cut through for sure in a way that a lot of other films haven't 
you know, or don't always. So I found that quite interesting over the last month or so. Yeah, I think Amazon Prime, and I think the fact that it popped up on their, I think just before Christmas, mm, didn't it? Mm. So it meant that a lot of people were at home or visiting family or whatever and ended up looking for things to watch. And I'm not sure it's the ideal film for watching with um, a big no. group of extended relatives, to be <laughs> honest. But anyway, I think, that, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's part of the reason why I think it has cut through in a way, like you said, um, and I think that might be why. Okay, so we'll move on. And um, finally, on this episode, I thought this was a fascinating uh, topic and one mm. we haven't quite discussed with each other before, actually. And yeah. obviously, we're, we're like massively on the lookout for things we haven't talked about before on the podcast <laughs> these days. Um, yeah, we, we struggle. We struggle now. We're like, what do we talk to each other? No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, we just keep finding them. But this one, yeah. So, Jamie Graham uh, in The Evening Standard. And Jamie Graham is a film uh, journalist. I think um, Total Film is who he mainly yeah. writes for. Yeah. And uh, the article was called, I watched 967 films in a single year. This is how <laughs> and why I did it. So he's talking in here, Tony, about the idea that, you know, he's quite uh, habitually been watching 800 films a year or more for a while now. And obviously it's partly to do with his job, but I think mainly it is an overriding passion. And the way he says he does it is that he aims for three films a day. So I think he said he tries to get one in before work and then two after work, basically. And he often uh, watches 15 movies a weekend. Uh, so <laughs> partly the article's about the fact that he's got this... He says, by his own admission, he says he's got an addictive personality that used to manifest in other ways. And he says he's packed in um, alcohol and cigarettes. And, you know, when it, when it comes to his film addiction, he's saying, you know, you know there are far worse things to be addicted to essentially so tony 967 films in a year can you can you come close to to matching that or not no i think the i think the clo- i've been tracking it on letterboxd for the last 12 years i think since i've been on letterboxd 13 years i think the closest i ever got to anywhere near that was one year where i think i watched about 450 or something like that 500 that was my that was my top. I think last year I got just over a hundred movies, and that was a, that was a stretch. Mm. It, it, it's incredible. I mean, I I've followed Jamie on Twitter for years now, um, and we've had we've had the odd little interaction here and there. I'm hoping I can get him on my '90s podcast one day, actually. But he is he is a machine. I mean, there's absolutely no question about that. He's an absolute machine. He's constantly talking about the films he's watched and things he's he's seen. Um, I mean, fair play to him. I mean, it, he, he, I would guess he doesn't have kids. I would, <laughs> I would guess, I think he is married. So his, his wife must actually have rivers of patience, but <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it's, it is astonishing. I mean, it, I, I, on the simple, I mean, even if I had the time to do that, I just don't know if I would be able to in that way. I mean, I, I have had absolutely, I've had points in my life where I can chow down on three or four films a day sometimes you know i think once i did i did a three movie cinema day which for a lot of people is probably very common but i've only think i've only ever done that once where i just back to back three films uh that was about 10 years ago uh, and i remember one of them very distinctly being pompeii with kit harrington do you remember that film i don't think i've seen it but yeah no you're not missed anything <laughs> to be honest um <laughs> anyway i i, I don't I, I wasn't able to do it consider i wouldn't i wasn't able to do it every day you know even when i was free and single and i had loads of time i couldn't do three or four a day like that you know consistently but jamie pretty no. much is you know it's it's 
it's insane. It's it, it's always. It, I wouldn't say it's insane. It's just astonishing, really, that he has that level of ability to enjoy it as well, and he does enjoy mm. it. That's the thing. If you see what follow him on social media, he's clearly loving it. I don't think I could with that a volume, Carl. Well, I'm definitely not racking up numbers anywhere near this. To be fair, and I don't use Letterbox to track it or anything, so mm. I don't know exactly. But it must be less than. 350 or something for me and maybe quite a bit less because you know i don't i wouldn't say i watch a film every day because there are times when i'm doing something else or if i am watching something i'm watching some tv series or something so i don't know maybe it's balanced out by the times uh you know there might be a weekend or something where i watch two films on the same day but Mm. i'm i'm way way behind him definitely i think maybe when you said 100 films last year i think maybe i've watched more than that to be Mm. fair but i don't know i just don't have the time in a way i think this is not a knock at him but by any means i think he says in the article that his wife loves films like he does which i mean that's gonna help to be fair but i mean i seem to spend so much time like driving my kids around or doing things for Mm. them or you know sometimes watching films with them but i don't know so just my other commitments do get in the way a bit i mean Here's a question for you off the back of this. When we think about, you know, the film critics we like to read and, you know, people like that, some of the commentators, do we want them to be watching this much stuff? Like, do we want them to have seen everything, quote unquote? And I don't think there is any way that anyone can see everything, but to have that kind of encyclopedic knowledge, or do we want something different? Like, do we want film critics to have more interests, you know, to be interested in also music or painting or whatever, so they can catch some of the illusions in cinema. You know, films don't just refer to other films. They also refer to, like, you know, other art forms and other things that are going on. So what what do you want, really, when you read in somebody? Do you want somebody who's, like, immersed in film uh, to the nth degree? Or do you want someone who maybe isn't but has different perspectives coming in from other places? What do you think? It, it's, re- it's a really interesting one. I think my instinctual answer is for somebody to have a bit of that rounded life experience, really, uh, mm. you know, th- that they can bring to the table if they're writing about films or culture generally, you know, and I, I think the, 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 the less interesting film writers are people who they don't seem to have a great deal of knowledge beyond that very specific thing that they're writing about in that moment, really. And, and I think you can tell quite often in the writing so, you know, as I grow older, I become more interested in people who, in a way, they're almost not writing about the film itself <laughs> when they're writing about something like this. You know, they're writing, it's almost like they're writing about a lot of other things. Yeah, I know. I, I think someone a bit more rounded, definitely. And that's not a knock on someone like Jamie, who obviously has spent a lot of his time, no. you know, watching films. You know, and he he did do, in total film, for a while, You you probably have seen this Carl but he did do his um you know adventures I think it's adventures of a film interviewer or something along those lines and he'd talk about lots of funny anecdotes of when he's interviewed famous people or he's gone to Cannes and all this and that very very entertaining very entertaining stories um so you know so he has he has lived and stuff but he's an example of someone I think has just lived the last 25 years of his life so immersed in film you know, I wonder how he, when he gets time to do anything else. You know, if he's watching that much film, does he get time to to travel? Does he get time to read? Does he get time to go and watch the football? You know, or whatever, whatever he's. You know that 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 expansive. Yeah, I do wonder. And for someone like him, maybe he doesn't mind. But I, I don't think I could live like that. 
really. As much, however much mm. I love movies, and however much I'm always like you, probably I'm always thinking, oh, I really want to see a film. I, re- I, I you know, I, after a while, I start to get a bit antsy if I haven't watched a movie. Um, but I couldn't do it to that level. Yeah, but what I'm finding the older I get is that I'm realizing that look, there's just no way I'm ever going to watch everything I might want to. Yeah, and I think actually coming to terms with that a bit and being maybe a bit more ruthless and selective about what I watch. That mm. could be a good thing too, actually. And one other final reflection, I think, is that as film podcasters, that actually massively cuts into our time for watching films in a way. Because like, yeah. at the weekend, for example, I recorded a podcast about a particular film and it was great fun to dive into that film and all that sort of stuff. But then I had to edit it and, you know, I probably spent, yeah. I don't know, seven, eight, nine hours at the weekend working on that podcast episode and... Mm. You know, that could have easily been two or three movies in a way, but I wouldn't have swapped that experience at the same time. So I think, yeah. Conversely, the more podcasting you do, the less films you watch, I think, or the fewer films you watch. We could be watching a film right now, Carl, instead of having this conversation. (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) Well, on that note, why don't we break (laughs) off here? Why don't we go and watch a film and why don't we come back later in the week with more topics, Tony? How about that? Good, good idea. I'm, I'm, uh, another reason why I could never match Jamie is that I can't watch a film in one day anymore because I don't have the time. So currently I'm trying to watch Dances with Wolves for my other podcast and, um, I'm not at the end yet and this is day three. So, you know, that, that's where I am with everything. But yeah, that's a good idea. We'll, uh, we'll come back in a couple of days for more, uh, film and related discourse well just just finally i remember when we me and you were going to do a podcast about the film blonde and i remember realizing <laughs> this about you because you got in touch with me a few times that week and you were like yeah i'm 20 minutes in really enjoying it <laughs> yeah I'm a- then the next day it was like yeah i'm an hour an hour into the film good stuff so far and then the following day it was like well i've got 40 minutes left but it's looking good you know so and i was that- like I-, I try and watch it in one sitting where i can but sometimes like you watch it you you know you finish the following day but uh you seem to really break it down like to be in like a mini series but know? that was before i had kid had a child as well like i don't even know why <laughs> i'm just lazy now at least i have an excuse you know Anyway, we will round off there. And uh, like I said, we'll be back later in the week. We've got much more to talk about. So thanks, everybody, for joining us again on the Discourse. And we will see you soon. Bye now. See you, guys. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.